My Eagle enthusiasts, it's Fairway Rolling, presented by FanDuel. Major season is here, and you can get in on all the long drives, big putts, and major moments with FanDuel. Check out live PGA Tour bets like longest drive, round leaders, matchups, birdie or better, and more. Plus, track every shot in the app and watch select par three holes while you place your bets. Download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Evernorth Health services. Costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and Evernorth is doing everything in their power to make that possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that'll benefit your bottom line. It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because they're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions, that's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Today's Shack House is brought to you by Callaway Golf, makers of the Chrome Soft Ball, the ball that changed the ball, which is now in the bag and on the golf course being used by Danny Wilt, the 2016 Masters Champion. He just put the bag in play because of the softer feel around the greens, but still longer through the rest of the bag. He joins Phil Mickelson, Jim Furyk, Lydia Ko, Patrick Reed, Mark Leishman, and others using the Chrome Softball in competition. In fact, Willett, uh, Wesley Bryan on the web.com tour, and Ko, uh, the great Lydia, uh, are all number one on their respective tour's money lists this year. So now, just know this. Through June 30th, you can personalize Chrome Soft Golf Balls for free. A great Father's Day gift. The offer is available at retailers nationwide, or you can order online at CallawayGolf.com. Try the new Callaway chrome soft golf ball and get that thing logoed up and uh one more word from another of our great sponsors this week ministry of supply let's face it we like to sweat outside the gym too especially golfers we like to wear pants when we're at a nice place that's why ministry of supply makes wear to work clothes that wick moisture promote airflow and even regulate body temperature because a job without sweat stains is a job well done visit ministry of backslash shackhouse and get 15% off your first purchase using code shackhouse15 or visit one of their stores in Boston, San Francisco and coming soon house Washington DC. Let's yeah. go to the shackhouse. All right, house we're back for another thrilling episode. The stars are aligning in golf. Uh, we were starting to wonder there about our stars, our young guns. Everything's kind of coming together. It's a lot of fun right now going to the U.S. Open. We're just two weeks away. How you feeling? I'm telling you, it's getting warm outside. It's getting warm on tour. And I'm happy to report that I have finally recovered from our get-together out in Carlsbad, <laughs> California. Uh 
on the one hand, I'd like to thank you for introducing me to the fantastic Fidels in uh, Encinitas. But on the other hand, my goodness gracious, the Cadillac Margarita, Jeff, Jeff Shackelford. <laughs> What are you trying to do to a brother? Yeah, that, that was, was high I was a little surprised. Octane. You had yeah. to alternate between a beer and the Cadillac. That was um I was I was shocked, frankly. It is a strong drink, but it's a great place. Jeff Ogilvie, the golfer, actually introduced me to Fidel's, and it's a, an awesome spot there in San Diego for old style Mexican food. And we loved having you out. But uh, we've got a great show today, House. We've got uh, Jaime Diaz, my boss at Golf World, one of the great golf writers. He's now an editor, of course, but he still writes like crazy for Golf Digest, uh, for GolfDigest.com, and, of course, for Golf World. And he's also going to work for Fox this year on the uh, U.S. Open telecast. So we are going to talk to him about some really good stuff. Of course, he's a, a chronicler of Tiger's career, and so we have to talk to him about that and also yeah. get into uh, some of the features he's been working on of late. He's gotten up close and personal with a few people. So we'll get to that. But... Uh, we also have a few more uh, fun topics, but first, I think we obviously have to, even though the uh, the Colonial is now in our rearview uh, mirror, it was still a, a huge, huge week for Jordan Spieth to, uh, to, to play like he did on the back nine. It was kind of uh, Steph Curry-esque, where he just all of a sudden started making everything again and uh, looked like the Jordan of last year, the attitude, the... The uh, I mean, he actually looked a little bit humbled by a couple of those makes. They were really getting ridiculous on the back nine, and it was fun hearing Jim Nance let out kind of a an un-Nance-like call. It was so shocking when he made that putt on 18. But uh, nice to see him, after these struggles, kind of bring it back together. Yeah, so look, that's the elasticity of youth, right? <laughs> my boy yeah. My boy had, you know, his moment at the Masters. He took uh, a, a month off. Um, he came back to the players, did not play well at the players, missed the cut. Um, then, you know, uh, had a pretty damn good showing um, the, the, at the Byron Nelson until Sunday with a, a very sort of unspeath-like Sunday performance because he, he had been a guy who would shut the door if he was in the lead, um, but still showing some some... Uh, chinks in the armor, I guess. Uh, and then this week he came out. It wasn't a wire to wire victory, but um, boy, oh boy, that that's like if there's vintage Spieth, I guess that that's it. The Sunday run away from the crowd, um, you know, especially with the short game. The 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 flat stick was rolling. Yeah, it and was. Uh, that's it. I mean, that's what how he distinguishes himself from everybody else. It's the flat stick, and it's why as we are entering. U.S. Open territory here. You know, if you look on the horizon, uh, Oakmont's popping up on the on on the on the screen there. Um, it's why he's got to be one of the favorites for that tournament, right? Yeah. No, he's easily my favorite just because of that. Those greens are the most diabolical that the uh, players face. Uh, at any point, I believe in professional golf, and to have the putter finally warmed up. And, you know, a lot of people, it's funny, he, he, you realize how much he can't win. He, so he, he blows the Masters, and people for the next month are obsessed about how, the, how could that happen, uh, why, why is his attitude so bad, why is he so surly on the course. Uh, then he goes out and does this, and, and then you kind of hear the, well, see, it's just he's really all about the putter. Uh, I got that from a few people. I'm like, well, yeah, so he's great with a putter, and when it gets going, he's going to win, and when it's off, uh, not so great because it obviously just 
it really kind of seeps through his whole game when you're and and that's the way it is for people who are great putters if you're if you're a great putter and suddenly it's a little bit off then you you really start to focus on your your ball striking and because that's not carrying you and that's just who he is it's like Steph Curry uh we're we're recording this the day after they've uh, made it to the NBA finals and he's you know he's He's nailing the jump shots again after being a little bit banged up. He still looks banged up, but that's just the nature of the, the long ball game, right? Now, these guys are just going to – I think they've spoiled us to a, a certain extent, and so it's probably shocking to people when they're when they're a little bit off. But there's just – Yeah, I like – just doesn't take I, much to go wrong when you when you play the game they way, the way they do. I, you know, it's it's hard to compare Steph Curry and, and Spieth, especially at this moment. It, there is a kind of timing coincidence that Steph um, had a rough stretch uh, shooting the ball. Um, his was, to me, um, more driven by uh, the injury he had and the three and, a half, three and a half weeks off that he had in the playoffs. But the comparison holds up to me between the two guys with um, Spieth's putter and, and, uh, and Steph's uh, long stroke. Is, is the confidence, right? The thing about that, that distinguishes uh, both those guys and sets them apart is the unerring, um, unshakable confidence they each have in that aspect of their, of their games. So, uh, you know, Steph's going to keep shooting. He kept shooting. He's going to keep shooting. He's not going to not shoot threes. He had to work super-duper extra hard to get open against Oklahoma City. It was kind of a, a, a tough coincidence for him to come back from injury uh, and face the team that is, you know, poses the biggest threat, the biggest challenge to, to his particular skill. You know, there's no team in the NBA that is as long and as athletic as Oklahoma City. And, uh, you know, for, for Jordan, the, the frustration we were seeing, he shot 64, you know, two weeks ago at the Byron Nelson at the opening round and was pissed. He came off the golf course being, you know, talking about, you know, his frustration. Um, <laughs> but he, he, he was still putting... You know, he was pissed that he was missing putts that he expected to make. Yeah. And, and then, you know, that confidence is what uh, showed itself again over the weekend here at the Colonial. And that's why, you know, he closes it out and he slams the door and that's it. Yeah. And I understood his frustration because he, he was, uh, you'd see him miss a few putts really badly. Like they just weren't, they just never started right. And that was very uncharacteristic of him. And, and so for a good putter to, it's just hard for people to understand that they, they expect to at least have every ball, have a shot at making, making it. And when he's off like that, that had to really bother him. And then of course, all the stuff with the ball striking and all that. But, uh, the great news is we now get the memorial this week and very fast greens, a place known for, for liking to push the green speed. Uh, this is a little different setup than a lot of tour events house. They have Jack and Arnold have a little more control over what they do. So they'll, the greens will be a little faster than the, the tour officials might like to have them. And, and that's just fine this year because uh, barring some sort of uh, rain, which seems to happen every year at the Memorial, they will have them nice and quick, and it'll be a great preview for, for Oakmont. And incredibly, we have Spieth, McElroy, and Day, all at 7-1 to going into the U.S. Open, which is pretty funny. Um, uh, and they're all going to be at, uh, at the Memorial. And so we get a great preview. We get a, And I just think if you're interested in – uh, the U.S. Open and kind of thinking about who to, to look at, this is the week to watch how people putt and just to see what they do on these super fast greens because Oakmonts are, are even more wicked than Muirfield Villages. Yeah, the other thing I like about um, what Jack does here at, at Muirfield is 
he lets the rough grow. So in that respect, it's also uh, a nice test, you know, a nice primer in advance of the U.S. Open. The the things that um, this tournament require uh, accuracy, greens and regulation, scrambling ability, strokes gained putting. The bombers can gain an advantage, but they have to stay in play. You can't, you know, uh, uh, Matsuyama, when he won, um, was not top of the list bomber-wise. And, and Lingmurth last, last year, David Lingmurth um, won in a playoff against Justin Rose. He's, he's by no means a bomber. It, it puts a real premium on accuracy, which is exactly what we expect out of our U.S. Open champion. Yeah, and I mean, when you think about Chambers Bay last year, this tournament meant so little in telling us who was going to play well there, I felt. And uh, and and this week now we have, you know, uh, just a perfect kind of inland, uh, more parkland than Oakmont is. Oakmont's removed all of its trees. But it's a, it's, a, it's a golf course that the players like. I don't know. I can't say they love it. And I, I think it's probably just because Mr. Nicholas has over-tinkered with it maybe a little bit in some spots. The 16th hole is a new hole that he added a few years ago, and it's it's pretty terrible from the tee they play it at. And uh, most of the players will tell you that. It just doesn't fit in with the course, and they play it from a weird angle. So they don't, they don't have this uh, – they don't hate the course by any means, uh, but you don't hear them say, oh, that's one of my all-time favorites to play every week. It's They just like it as a great event, well-run event. It's a great examination of their great game. It's a great way to get ready for the U.S. Open. It's a prestigious title. You get a three-year exemption. Mr. Nicholas is around. I mean, it has a special feeling about it that that very few tour events have and so it's it's a uh hopefully if the weather cooperates which it never does it's uh <laughs> it's an event that uh I, I i have been the last few years i'm not going this year and I'll, I'll miss it quite a bit because it's it's just a it's just got a great vibe to it and you know it never hurts that mr nicholas is around and well, and he's got his ice cream, right? The Jack, uh, the Jack ice cream. Yeah, yeah. The, the Jack Nicholas ice cream is excellent. They they do bring that to the the media center. <clears throat> However, they they make these unbelievable milkshakes in the locker room, and uh, those oh. are off limits to the media. Which I come on. Yeah, it's very it's very upsetting. I've only had to been able to sample that. You know, they're big on peanut butter and chocolate in Columbus. My favorite combination, and uh, it really is an extraordinary. Uh, well, milkshake. You, ha- you have to get one of the players to sneak one out for you. Uh, a few people have done that. I I prefer not to go that route. I think it it could look a little bit uh, a little I, bit look, wrong. Look, I I, w- I would go that route. We're boys with Patrick Reed now. I'd yeah, send Pat you right know, in I, there. I think I don't do it because they're, they're Columbus has just two of the greatest ice cream places. Actually, Dublin, which is the town nearest uh, the course, <laughs> has uh, Amy's and uh, yeah. Graders, which Amy's are just both sensational. Famous. Yeah, famous famous um, joints. But anyway, uh, so it, it should be a fantastic week. Uh, best field they've had. It's always been a tournament that the field almost is great. And this year, it's just everybody's there. And I'm going to be watching a lot of different people. I'm curious what Brandon Grace does. I'm curious if Jim Furyk starts to show some signs. I'm kind of going down the list now of people who I'm curious about going into Oakmont. When you think U.S. Open setup, you think U.S. Open conditions and the people who uh, tend yeah. the grinders. It, you know, I want to see a yeah, little sign when, of life from those types of people. That's right. When you start thinking U.S. Open odds, because maybe yeah. there's some some prices to be had 
Um, you know, maybe there's a little advantage here. We're still a couple of weeks out, and the prices, yeah. the, all the top top class players, we're not touching. As again, they're ridiculous odds. Yeah. Not touching anybody. I'm not looking at anybody really under 25 to one, yeah. and I'll be hard pressed to to touch anybody even at at 30 to one. Yeah. But the 50 to one guys could be interesting, and maybe we get a little something out of those that that crew um, here at the Memorial that that could you know. Uh, Prepare the appetite a little bit. Yeah, spice the up the appetite. The only two people at that number who stand out to me are Brant Snedeker and Zach Johnson. Uh, I'll, I'll throw in Matt Kuchar, too, because he's really starting to play incredibly well now. Those are three people I think, okay, it's a U.S. Open. They can kind of grind it out. They're great putters when they're when they're putting well. They all putt on a level that's almost like Spieth when they're, when they're on. Otherwise, I guess I'm just too I'm just too caught up on those greens, and I, I look at some of these the, the names on here, and I know how they they struggle with the the, the short stick, and I don't get too excited. Does anybody else sleep out at you right now? No, I like all three of those guys. I'm looking forward to some of the prop bets that show up. I, I want to yeah. know if, if anybody's going to put out an over under on four putts because uh, you know that would be fun in, in the first couple of days. I you know I'll just I'll throw it. Out. I bet there, I bet we see you know. I'd set the over-under at 24 putts in the first two days. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, and most of them will be on the first screen. Uh, all right, <laughs> we are uh, going to take a break here for just a second. Jaime Diaz is coming up. We've got some fantastic stuff uh, we've talked with, with him about. But uh, first, I want to tell you about Callaway's trade-in bonus program, 50% off toward a new set of Callaway irons with the 360 Face Cup technology. That offer has been extended until June 30th. The 360 Face Cup is a technology that catapulted Callaway to the number one irons in golf. It delivers more speed, more distance. Stop taking our word for it. Why would you do that? Take your old beat-up sticks to a retailer near you for a 50% trade-in bonus and find out for yourself. The whole lowdown on how this works, House, it's on uh, CallawayGolf.com. You can learn about the uh, the trade-in program, but a lot of retailers are uh, happy to help, happy to take those old clubs off and uh, uh, get you in some new 360 Face Cup technology. Well, look, I, I, uh, I, my own self may have jumped into a little new uh, cup face technology. Uh, part of our trip out there in Carlsbad, we were lucky enough to spend some time down at the Callaway Performance Center. Quick shout out to my main man Corey Newman for spending some time with me. The whole experience, I, I, I we're exactly at the point in the season where if you're thinking about, you know, upgrading what's in your bag, um, now's the time. And I can't overemphasize this enough. You got to go get fit. A lot of people out there who know how to use TrackMan really well, and it's just great for lessons uh, in the right hands. Uh, besides the fitting house, it just just somebody who knows how to use TrackMan. Uh, it sounds complicated. It looks ridiculous with all the numbers, but a good instructor who knows how to take those numbers can actually give you like really simple little solutions to uh, stuff in your game with setup and ball position. And uh, so I highly recommend it. I'm a big big fan of TrackMan. I wish I had it when I was playing college golf. Well, it really would make let things me, easier. No <laughs> doubt. Let me let me tell you about another uh, aspect of that fitting experience that um, you might not have expected to hear from me about. Um, you've Your heard underwear? me talk about. You've heard me talk about me undies before, Jeff Jeff Shackelford. You, you, you know how I feel about the the me undies. Let me tell you about one aspect of the me undies experience that you may not have heard from me uh, before, and that is performance. They are perfect fitting. 
perfect moving performance enhancers I had on the MeUndies for the fitting. And that uh, was uh, the, the perfect complement to the fitting experience. Every <laughs> pair of MeUndies, Jeff Shackelford, made from sustainably sourced modal, a fabric that's twice as, as soft as cotton. Very important for all the balls I was hitting. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing can describe the fit and feel of MeUndies, but once you try them on, you'll understand why they're called the world's most comfortable underwear. If you don't love your first pair of MeUndies, they're free, no questions asked. They have dozens of styles, limited edition prints to help you make a statement with your underwear. My statement was, ball go far. Uh, I'm not sure if it really worked. Anyway, uh, <laughs> shipping's free in the U.S. and Canada. You can save up to $8 a pair with the MeUndies subscription plan. Get the subscription or a single pair. 20% off your first order when you go to MeUndies.com backslash house. That's H-O-U-S-E. MeUndies.com backslash H-O-U-S-E for 20% off your first order. MeUndies.com backslash house. Go get yourself some MeUndies. All right, and I will put the link up in our show notes on my site, jeffshackelford.com, and we'll make that nice and easy so everybody can get their underwear and their 50% trade-in bonus on Callaway Irons. All right, without further ado, Jaime Diaz, he's the editor of Golf World. He's won every uh, Lifetime Achievement Award in journalism and golf. He is a master profiler and a studier of players and um, thinker of the game, a former college golfer, and uh, just uh, just one of, the, one of the best golf writers ever, and we're thrilled to have him. So uh, let's go to our chat with Jaime Diaz. All right, joining us is Jaime Diaz. Thank you, Jaime, uh, for for getting on the phone with us here. Uh, House is a big fan of yours, and of course, I work for you at, at Golf World, and um, uh, we wanted to get you on to just talk about all the interesting stuff going on in golf. Uh, you just recently wrote a piece about Tiger and kind of that uh, little incident that happened at Congressional and what you saw in that, and and you talked to Paul Easinger about that. So, uh, give us kind of your your views on the state of Tiger. And by the way, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Jeff and Joe. Thanks. No, yeah, that was a moment, wasn't it? Uh, Tiger hitting those balls in the water. Uh, you know, you don't want to make too much of anything that's not competitive, and yet we study Tiger so carefully, everything he does, and whenever he puts his, his swing on display, there's going to be everybody uh, extra, extra scrutinizing, so to speak. And, you know, I think everybody related to that moment because it was kind of embarrassing. In other words, we've all hit bad shots in front of our friends or hopefully not, in front of a crowd. It's, it's painful. Of course, Tiger Woods has won 14 majors. He's maybe the greatest player ever. But he looked uncertain and embarrassed. And that was what was most telling about that moment. Now, that's all speculation and visceral reaction, but at the same time, it was kind of a shared opinion. And he didn't want that third ball thrown too tough to him, you know. He sort of felt like, wow, let me out of here. But, you know, and then he bared down, even told himself, you know, come on, Tiger, and you know, there is a theory that it was like performance art, like he was faking it and mm. in a way of taking the pressure off himself. In other words, look, I'm so done. Don't even worry about me anymore. And then coming back and surprising everyone and taking, you know, you know, this sort of, uh, uh, you know, backdoor kind of sneak attack approach. I mean, I don't know. That's mm. that's way out there. And I just didn't see that in his in his unless he's a great actor. Uh, I didn't see that in his reaction. But. When, afterwards, everybody had an opinion, and I called Paul Azinger, who I always feel really profound in this really common-sense way because he played the tour and won majors, and he just knows 
what it's like. And, you know, he, he's very good at sort of examining himself, uh, you know, examining others through the prism of himself. And, and the thing that he saw and what he related back to was how much tour players, all their lives, from the time they start playing and they have obviously great ability, show off, you know, and get great pleasure out of showing off. You know, that people give them approval. There's so much positive feedback that comes from that, and it sort of reinforces them getting better and better. And it's just a really core kind of emotion to to their whole careers. And the minute, in his case, he stopped not wanting to show off anymore was when he kind of realized competitively he was really on the decline. And what he sees in Tiger, who he felt probably loved showing off more than anybody who ever lived because he had the most to show, was someone who doesn't want to show off anymore and doesn't feel confident enough that he can show off and is sort of embarrassed about the possibilities. I mean, from the chip yips to something like what we saw at Congressional. So that's where Paul, I thought, hit the nail on the head with a very simple point that just resonated. And I, I felt like uh, it really encapsulated Tiger's whole situation right now. He, if it's not fun, if he's not getting any sort of psychic reward from it, is it even worth doing anymore? Mm. You know, and Jaime, you and I discussed that he needed this kind of downtime to, to sort of get refreshed. Is your sense that maybe this was that moment we saw that he's now had the time off uh, and, it, and the refreshment hasn't happened? Well, you know, Jeff, I, I really take the long view on this. I don't think four months or six months is enough. Mm-hmm. I, and this is all, again, speculative, theoretical. I think Tiger needs like a year or two years. Wow. And I know that sounds absurd in some ways because how do you know you'll even have a game in two years? But I just feel most of his problems are, are, are psychological, and he's got to you know, come to terms with a lot of things that are making him uncomfortable on the golf course when he's out there. And you know, it, to me, it goes back to his you know, disaster in 2009 at Thanksgiving and, and, the, and the, the embarrassment he still feels about that. Mm. Uh, again, no way to quantify that, but he just doesn't look like a guy who is – you know, confident in himself. And, you know, that, again, was one of his greatest strengths, who had more poise and, and uh, you know, toughness under pressure than Tiger. And, and he's been fragile under pressure, uh, really, since 2010, other than 2013 winning, you know, five times. That was great. Won the players. But in general, on weekends at majors especially, he hasn't performed. And, he, and he's been the opposite of what he used to be, which was closing out these things on the weekends. So, in my opinion, you know, it, this doesn't hurt to take – if he's going to have a chance, let's put it that way, I think more time off is better. Heal up everything physically, obviously. I mean, if the back is bad, then all bets are off anyway. But, you know, players have come back from back problems worse than this, and I'm not trying to minimize his back problems or know what they are. But, for example, Rocco Mediate, I mean, really had severe, couldn't even walk kind of back problems for since 94 when he first had surgery. Right. And not that he was not that he was Tiger Woods, but he's had some wonderful moments in his career. And here he is now at 53, and he won a senior major, uh, a PGA Champions, a PGA Tour Champions major. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's you know, <laughs> I know I want to say it right, but in any event, the, the point being, uh, I think it's a long hauling golf. To me, Tiger has incredible innate talent that he can still pull from in reserve into his 40s if everything is right mentally and physically. Well, so Jaime, uh, hopefully, if if your point of view is correct, and I'm on the the side of um, the fence where I, I hope Tiger takes as much time as he thinks he needs, because I don't want him back in any condition other than kind of the best version of Tiger that he can be. Uh, hopefully, it's the case that we're not getting weekly 
uh, ticker news that Tiger's announced that he's not going to play uh, in, e- in each week's event. I was really surprised watching this weekend. Tiger announces he's not playing in the Memorial. So does that mean we're also going to have one for, you know, he's not playing in, in the St. Jude. He's not playing in the U.S. Open. Um, I don't know if we need w- weekly updates of the tournaments that he's not playing in. Um, but I do uh, hope that he um, is, is, you know, approaching this the way that you're sort of advocating, which is take all the time that he needs to get himself um, right and ready for the stage again. Um, I have a question for you. I know that you um, spent some time recently with Jason Day. It appears uh, to, the, to uh, a fan like me on the way outside that he is as comfortable in his own skin as maybe he's ever been, um, both personally and professionally. Uh, how did you find Jason? I think that's probably the key to the whole thing, Joe, as, as, as you've uh, you know, perceived. And, you know, for whatever reason, as a player, as talented as Jason was, and he, he came out of Australia, you know, very, very much uh, uh, evaluated as someone who's going to be a future star and had a great uh, opening year on the Web.com tour. And then as a tour player in his first five years, not that he played poorly, but he sort of underachieved based on the projections. And he wasn't very good on Sundays. I mean, he was like, with seven, with 54-hole leads, he was one for seven in, in conversions. And, you know, he talked about being burned out at times, being too concerned with money, uh, and playing for money, and, and, and lacking confidence, and just not, as you say, at peace with himself and, and, and comfortable in his own skin. And he kept knocking on the door in majors more than anything, actually. Those were his best performances. He'd be in the lead on... Uh, you know, on a Sunday and or close to it, and 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 usually would fade. And so he kind of kept, you know, obviously progressing as a player and getting better, but he still wasn't capitalizing on his opportunities. And then last year at St Andrews, he played beautifully. He was in the 54-hole lead again, tied, going to the last round, and uh, missed, uh, left a 20-footer on the last hole short. That in and of itself is not a great sin. A 20-footer is, you know one out of a five shot at, at best, usually, for right. a tour player. Yeah. But in any event, that moment, he was really distraught, but something came over him in the in the aftermath where he was sort of reflecting on, you know, I played well, I kept it together, I felt different, I was calm, and maybe I'm there now. So for whatever reason, he flipped, even in failure. And when he got to Canada, you know, he, he did, a, he did a, an interview with the RBC which sounds like you know a PR commercial, but it's really it was really a good film that actually got nominated for a sports Emmy, and he really he was in the mood at that moment, and he kind of went deep with you know what his issues were, and you know how do you face the fear is kind of the theme, you know. In other words, he was a little bit afraid of playing on Sundays in his heart, and now he wasn't, and and he learned how to face the fear, and then at Canada that week he made a 20 footer on 72nd hole to win, and from that moment he has been a different player, and. He's also learned maybe about how to have peace, you know, in his life a little better. Not that he was ever, you know, I think he's had a very happy family life. His, his Australian life growing up was embattled. But since he's come to America and married and had kids, he's been great. But he did have a bit of a conflict in being a family man versus a tour player. And he was a little ambivalent about, you know, how much commitment to give to the game. And now he seems to have found that sweet spot where he can, you know, be really happy and yet still totally dedicated to golf more than he's ever been. And of course now he's, he's texting with tiger, you know, tiger was his hero. Tiger has seemed to almost 
want to pass the torch a bit to, to Jason, who knows. But in any event, Tiger's been open with him, and not only that, hasn't minded when when Jason has publicly spoken about talking to Tiger and getting advice from him, and even even saying what the advice was. Usually Tiger would put the kibosh on that and probably end you know any correspondence. So all these things are coming together, and Jason's game is a beautiful blend of power and touch, which, you know, Rory's doesn't quite have the touch, and, and Jordan Spieth doesn't quite have the power. So when he's right, arguably has more tools than anybody. So you're yeah, talking so- about a guy who has a chance to be, you know, a, a number one here for a while and, and do some historical things. Yeah, it seems like the only um, limitation, the only sort of ceiling um, that may show up is is physical. Uh, you know, if he gets hurt, which obviously we're rooting against, but also the vertigo. Did you guys talk about that at all? Yeah, he, you know, the back thing has been there kind of chronically since he was a kid. He, he's a really hard worker. I mean, he's really, a, it's sort of a paradox because he would talk about burnout, but he's just one of those obsessive workers, and he swings hard. And, you know, Colin, his caddy and, and, and mentor, uh, has always encouraged him to, to create a lot of speed in his swing, and, and that creates back problems. And he's had them, um, you know, throughout his career. And it, it's something, you know, he does. now he works out really hard with a sort of focus on his core and things that will strengthen, you know, that lower back area so that it doesn't, you know, kind of give in to injury. Uh, right. The vertigo is a come-and-go thing. It's apparently he's got like a permanent infection in his, in his ear. Uh, it, it sounds terrible, but it's just one of those things that sometimes recurs. Uh, sometimes it's uh, uh, unpredictable, but he tends to think it's mostly comes from stress and maybe not getting enough sleep, getting tired. And, you know, that's another reason he's, he's learning better how to relax in competition because he doesn't want that to come on. But he didn't, I don't think it's a chronic, I don't think it's a, a major issue with him. But it is one of those X-factor surprises that could crop up. Sure, right. Um, well, it really portends well this, uh, you know, this this position that he's in at the moment for what the summer may hold for him. I know you also spent um, some time recently with another guy that's that's kind of uh, fascinating that hasn't been able to uh, crack the code on uh, on breaking through, and that's Dustin Johnson. Um, he, he's been sort of under the radar so far this season. Um, tell us a little bit about your time with Dustin. Well, Dustin's, you know, sort of this fascinating guy because he's so relaxed and he's very popular with, with, his, with the other players as this cool guy, and nothing seems to bother him. And yet, underneath it, he does feel it. And, you know, to the point where, you know, he, he took a, a leave of absence uh, at the end of 2014 and came back in 2015. Uh, and got a life coach and kind of wanted to learn how to manage his stress better. Uh, he does feel things. He internalizes most things. Now, the point of the conversation we had was about, hey, Chambers Bay is coming up. How have you reacted to that? And his line is, and I'm not saying it's a line only, but I, I, mean, I think he sincerely believes that, he's over, that he was over it quickly, that it hasn't lingered, that he's learned from it, that he's taking the positives from having played the last two holes incredibly well in terms of Tita Green. Great tee shot on 17 at Chambers Bay and made birdie. Nobody hit it close there. And, you know, that was a must birdie at that moment. And then probably the drive of his life on the 72nd hole, which went about 360 in a narrow corridor on a par 5, and then he hit a 245-yard 5-iron that, you know, if it rolls another 6 inches, it probably rolls within 5 feet of the hole. Uh, of course, then he three-putts. And, you know, what can you say about that except, you know, he succumbed to pressure. And it was a collapse of the greatest order in terms of the timing 
but, you know, he's like, hey, the greens weren't that good. I got fooled on the speed. I had a four-footer. I thought I had a pretty good putt, didn't go in. And he's just taking it as, you know, this, this golf shot, not any sort of, you know, existential crisis. And he's, he's moving along. However, you know, he has won every year for many years now, about eight, eight or nine, eight years, I think. But he hasn't won this year. And right. he hasn't won in a while. He hasn't won since Doral last year. Uh, so there is some sort of feeling that, you know, Dustin's time is passing if he's not careful. In his mind, it comes down to putting, which, you know, sounds so, you know, simplistic in a way or cliche. But really, if you look at his stats, you know, he, he's a great driver of the golf ball, maybe the best in terms of combining distance and, and, and some accuracy. And then at the same time, uh, you know, wedge play is not great, but the putting has never been in the lower, you know, sort of third percentile on tour. And you just can't putt good enough. You can't hit the ball good enough to win if you don't putt well. I mean, yeah, know, Jordan Spieth's the greatest example. Jason Day has putted fantastically for about six months. And that's, that's always been Dustin's X factor. Can he putt? And that's really where it's at with him. As far as, you know, where he is in his head, I'm going to take him at his word and say he's, he's one of those guys who recovers and, and is resilient and moves along. Uh, but his physical game has got some holes in it. And I think that's where he's got to bolster it. Did he give you any reaction to his performance at the Masters? Because on the one hand, you know, he was right there on Sunday in the last, you know, four, five, six holes. And uh, it's funny that he self-identified the putting because, it, you know, there was a sloppy um, dump in the bunker on, I guess it was 17, um, that essentially took him out of it. But uh, did he give you any reaction to his, his play at the Masters? You know, again, he, he said, boy, you know, I played great at the Masters. I just didn't quite finish it off. To me, the one that stuck in my mind was St. Andrews last year, yep. you know, not long, a month after the U.S. Open. And, you know, he was leading. He shot 65-69. Uh, he looked like, man, he's on a vendetta here. He's on a mission to win this thing and, and, and vindicate himself. And, and St. Andrews sets up so well for him as far as giving him space off the tee, and he looked like he could dominate that course. And he, and he shot 75-75 on, obviously, what was a problematic weekend as far as weather, but it was still a shock to see those kind of scores. So you, you feel like, you know, inside there's something missing mentally. Uh, you know, in terms of how to how to deal with the psychological challenge of the weekend in, in majors. And he does seem to make the small and sometimes the big mistake. Um, you know, Rory suffers from this as well. It's a very fine line. Uh, he didn't talk about it, certainly, uh, in, in those terms. But I do feel like there's, there's a, a matter of confidence that he's got to resolve fairly soon or, you know, he's going to be on the backside of his prime without having done what it looked like he was going to do. Hey, Jaime, last thing, uh, this is the Memorial Week. You're a past honoree there and the uh, the journalism honoree they do uh, on Wednesday of the tournament. One of the cool things, Mr. Nicholas salutes various people. And this year, the general memorial honoree is Johnny Miller, somebody you've you've been very interested in because of your uh, link to uh, growing up in the uh, area where he used to be so uh, prominent. Uh, I'm kind of fascinated by how close he and uh, Jack Nicholas are these days. Have they always been uh, this close, or is this something that's kind of happened in, in kind of post-playing career uh, days? Well, it, it's a great question, Jeff. It's interesting. You know, I was surprised at how their their link goes quite a ways back, actually, to Olympic Club, 1966 U.S. Open, and uh, Jack knew a guy named John Swanson, who I actually my uncle knew. <laughs> he ran bowling alleys in Daly City outside of San Francisco. He was a really good player. Quite a character, really a wonderful 
you know, kind of hustler, gambler. Used to Jack even still talks about him how he could hmm. kind of make him choke <laughs> because he had a real, you know, a real way of, of putting in the needle at the right moment. But anyway, Jack said, "Hey, uh, excuse me." John Swanson told Jack, who was coming obviously as the defending cha- as uh, just having won the Masters, "You ought to play with our young guy here who just qualified for the Open." So they played. Johnny and Jack. And Johnny, honestly, he's so, he was so confident. He still is. You can tell he's got that athletic arrogance. It's one of the things that makes him, I think, a great announcer, is that he knows what it's like out there. And, yeah. and he wasn't that you know, impressed with the whole opportunity. He's like, yeah, great, I'll play with Jack. And he played, and they played well. They actually played at Olympic on Tuesday, and then they went to San Francisco Club on Wednesday. For whatever reason, Jack wanted to play San Francisco Club, and Johnny had taken lessons from John Geertsen there. And so they kind of, Jack kind of kept his eye on him when Johnny finally came out on tour in like 69. And they, they had a nice relationship. Of course, Johnny challenged him in 73 and 74 and 75. And Jack responded with some of his best golf, but he really knew that Miller was for real and, and probably was better with his irons than even Jack was, certainly from the six iron down. And Miller was really a genius hitting the ball close, as you know. Um, and, you know, they kind of stayed in contact. They're both big fishermen. Something that, uh, I thought was really kind of almost very moving, actually, when Johnny told the story, was he lost his brother when Johnny was um, Johnny was 11 and his brother was 15. His brother was a big fisherman, and he was on the the coast of uh, near the Cliff House, if you know that, in San Francisco mm-hmm. on the Pacific Ocean, and a wave swept him away. Oh, wow. And uh, uh, it, really, it really hit Johnny, and, and, you know, to this day he gets emotional talking about it. But what he said was, you know, as he and Jack would fish later in life and got to talk and... and and know each other a lot better, and they both have, I think Johnny has 23 grandchildren, and Jack has 22. I mean, they have similar kind of, you know, life views and, and life experiences and goals, uh, except that Jack could carry on and, and have this longevity as a champion, and Johnny, for whatever reason, you know, stopped. Uh, but he said, you know, he told Jack, he said, Jack, you're like, you're like my big brother. You're like, took over that role. Hmm, wow. And, you know, it, you know, you don't see tour players, especially rivals, you know, yeah. sort of sharing those kind of emotional moments very much, or at least talking about them anyway. But Miller's kind of like that. You know, he's, he's, his voice is kind of flat, but, you know, there's a lot going on inside. And so I think this, this award means a lot to Johnny because it comes from Jack, and I think it means a lot to Jack because I think he has real regard for Johnny. Well, that'll be a great ceremony tomorrow. I'll uh, try to pull some of it up online, and we'll post it with the podcast uh, on my site and in the show notes and stuff. I'm sure there, the uh, it'll be emotional. It's always a great event the way they memorialize players and that uh, beautiful park there they have with the plaques and stuff. So uh, we really appreciate you coming on, Jaime, and you uh, have a great time there in Columbus, and, and uh, we, uh, we look forward to uh, seeing your coverage here the rest of the year. Hey, I enjoyed it, Jeff and Joe. Thanks very much. All right, we thank Jaime again for that great conversation, and you can always check out Jaime's stuff at GolfDigest.com and subscribe to uh, Golf World, where I also appear occasionally, and uh, he is just one of the best. We really thank him for all those thoughts and look forward to his coverage uh, for Fox this year at the U.S. Open. He's going to be added to the broadcast team. All right, it's time for the speed round. Shack House's speed round is brought to you by Callaway Golf, who asks you to be one of the first to test new products. You know how you do that, House. How do you do that, Jeff Shackelford? Yeah, head over to CallawayGolf.com slash community and sign up for their Callaway community. Also, the first question from our speed round that comes from the community, and I promise, House, we will be spending time and asking, ans- asking and answering questions there. We'll yeah, we got to get on there. we got a bunch of questions we got to answer, Jeff. We will be providing a nice gift. I believe it's in the form of a Shack House t-shirt. All right. 
Speed round. Uh, last week, interesting thing happened, House. The NCAA women uh, had this awesome final match, Stanford and Washington. It got a monster rating, partially because the NBA game was a blowout and people were channel surfing. But it was mostly because the women had this incredible emotional kind of back and forth contest. Um, and the rating, I mean, it was, you know, they averaged like 250,000 viewers over a four hour telecast, which uh, is uh, like uh, way better than <laughs> the PGA Tour fall events get uh, for a final round. And uh, I'm curious, so I'm biased on this because I played college golf and I want to see college golf do well. And I'm thrilled that Golf Channel is just going all in on it. Do you think, though, it has any chance of resonating with a with a larger audience the way other college sports do? Uh, <laughs> wow, well, that's a you tough one to answer. Feelings. You won't hurt my feelings. That's a Go hard. Ahead. No, no. Well, look, um, men or women. All I can do is talk about my my you know sphere, my circle, and I was really happy to have that on TV. I flipped over. It's a high tension moment. It's real competition. The format is easy to understand. The, um, the girls are not dispassionate, you know, and, and, and I love very much the um, involvement of the coaches, how collaborative the whole thing is. It's, a, it's, good, um, it's good viewing. It looks good on TV. They're playing uh, – I, I can't remember where the women Eugene were playing. Eugene Country Club, same yeah. place that the, the men are playing this week. It looks, yeah. it looks great on television. And uh, I was sucked in immediately, Good. and so much so that I wanted to watch, you know, the 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 the, the next the next day. Well, and the men this week should be pretty compelling. They got all the teams you kind of hoped in the final eight, and the format, you know, was designed for television because the NCAA championship wasn't on television until a couple of years ago, and they created this format where you you crown an individual champion uh, after seventy two holes, and then you go to these two days of match play. And it's it's five players on each team, and it's it's the the team that wins three out of the five matches or more uh, goes to the next round. And of course, it, it's also just another reminder that team golf and match play, the combination, just brings out emotions and different things strategically that we just don't get in stroke play. And it, 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 I think it's a pretty cool reminder that the IOC and the Golf Federation folks need to think about that when they recalibrate the Olympic golf format for uh, 2020, if they do, which I'm afraid they're going to probably dig in and not try to do. But, uh, okay, last week the European Tour centerpiece event uh, landed with a humongous Thud. Uh, the BMW PGA was won by Chris Wood, but it was brutal. They just had no no big names other than Danny Willett. Uh, gosh, Sergio passed, Rory passed, Henrik Stenson passed, Justin Rose had a back injury. At least Rose showed up, did some TV on Sunday, which I thought was really, really cool of him. That was totally unnecessary and a nice, nice touch. Um, is this a sign, though, that there's just too much golf house? Probably, and it doesn't help that the players don't seem to like that golf course. Uh, no. no, they don't. Uh, um, it, it's a tough schedule this year in particular because of how compressed everything is with three majors you know, now coming up in about six and a half, seven weeks, plus the Olympics. Um, and so you're not going to get uh, all those names you rattled off are guys looking for a, um, a break in the schedule. I mean, you, we're going to see um, quite a few of those guys at, at Jack's tournament this yeah. week. 
And there's really no competition between uh, Muirfield Village and, and Wentworth. And, and I, you know, I understand they went in with the bulldozers uh, ye- yesterday morning, you know, ready to revamp that joint. Yeah, yeah, we'll see how that goes. So er- Ernie L's messed up. Of course, it was already had been messed up. Uh, and now they're going to have Ernie put it back to uh, H.S. Colt's design, which I don't have real high hope that he's a— an H.S. Colt aficionado. But it was nice to hear uh, Harry Colt, like everybody knew him, uh, ma- mentioned quite a bit on the telecast. Their, their commissioner, their chief executive, uh, Keith Pelly, has made very clear that courses are going to be a priority for them going forward. So they've learned their lesson, I think. We'll see how it all turns out. Uh, last thing on the speed round house that's been, and I even, I'm kind of guilty of this. I haven't done a post on my blog, but Aria Jutanugarn uh, has won three LPGA Tour events in a row. She's 20 years old. Three weeks in a row she's won. Uh, First player since MB Park in 2013 to do that, and nobody has cared. Nobody has paid attention. She won the Volvic Championship, a new event up in Michigan. And I just, you know, I turned around. uh, I flipped the dial on Sunday. You had the the seniors on NBC. You had the Colonial on CBS. And then there were the women playing at the same time. And all I could think was, why are they trying to finish this event on a Sunday? Why are they not playing, I don't know, Saturday, Sunday Pro-Ams and then Monday through Wednesday tournament? I, I, I just I feel like the LPGA Tour has to do something soon to stop trying to compete. And, 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 and I think this circles back to the comment about the NCAA women, and we'll see what happens with the ratings this week with the NCMN. By the way, there's a reason they're playing and finishing on a Wednesday. It's to get more eyeballs and to expose their sport. Is there any hope for the LPGA Tour if they do that? Well, that that's just the point. Um, they have to figure out a way to distinguish themselves. It is not of any um, particular interest to folks to have um, a young lady who's a, a really remarkable um, string of achievement here that nobody's heard of. There's no no pre-existing narrative. There's no way for them to build a story about her. I, I'd never heard of her before, and it was only yeah. like slightly uh, eyebrow-raising that she was in the lead Saturday going into Sunday. I was like, oh, the, this will be interesting if she can pull it off. But, you know, they, they have such a hard time distinguishing themselves that tour. They need to come up with some way to set to take their stories, their um, players, and get them out of the mainstream cycle because they, they just get swamped. I, I, you know, I honestly was more interested in seeing if Rocco yeah. could hold yeah. on wire to wire. And, you know, by the way, it doesn't hurt that the, the senior guys are playing – um, pretty interesting golf courses. Yeah, that's a wild-looking um, place, isn't it, where they play? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then the L- LPGA, um, you know, is feels like it's playing kind of second tier. Um, not not to, to yeah. uh, uh, diminish, you know, the, the, this week's event in Michigan, but um, you know, it, it just they can't compete. There's no uh, the, the the stories are behind, and the the you don't the players there isn't enough of a story associated with them. Yeah, no, and, and the commissioner has kind of dug in and tried to try to stick with this, but I think he'll have to to cave at some point. Maybe when he goes on the PGA Tour Network in 2021, uh, his new partner, and I won't even go down that rat hole. All right, House, uh, we have uh, an exciting week. We've got the memorial. We'll be back next week, Monday after the memorial, to wrap up that we. 
are working on a very special guest. I hope uh, we can pull it off, and I think yeah. we will. Um, that would be cool. But uh, in the meantime, uh, we'd just like to thank again today's sponsor, Ministry of Supply. Uh, they're wear-to-work men's clothes, dress shirts, slacks. They combine this incredible performance technology, tailored design to do things like wick sweat, breathe, stretch with your movements, because a job without sweat stains is a job well done. So get started. Go to ministryofsupply.com slash shackhouse. Get 15% off your first purchase using shackhouse15. That's shackhouse15, all one word together. Or visit one of their stores in Boston, SF, or soon Washington, D.C. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be looking to upgrade my golf pants game. They uh, have on their website pants featuring maximum movement in a tailored silhouette, Jeff Shackelford. That's 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 Joe House language right there. Very nice. And I believe uh, we're making an appearance on Callaway Live's uh, TV Callaway app, something like that this week. I hope that's right. Look, Callaway Live rolls on with a guest. I think he's, he's on uh, tonight. Today, yeah, um, 9 p.m. He's going to have a hard they're going to have a hard time topping last yeah, week. Yeah. Uh, that was that, that's because um, it was us. Callaway made the the grave error in judgment of having Shaq House uh, on Callaway Live. But um, this week, Harry Arnett hosts the 38th president of the PGA of America, Ted Bishop. Um, it's a good thing uh, that that um, PGA of America doesn't have edit rights over this because I think Ted's going to say some things that they don't like. Uh, it was also a good thing that our show was taped because um, Callaway did have edit rights and there were some things that needed to get edited out. Uh, um, yeah, things you said, nothing I said. It, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. All episodes are available, friends. CallawayGolf.com backslash Callaway Live or download the new TV Anywhere app for Roku and like Jeff was just saying Apple TV there's a, we have our own channel on there now, now Callaway TV and on that Apple TV app I've been told that Shack House is on there today Yeah. so go check out that Shack House broadcast if you haven't seen it already yeah absolutely and uh, of course we'd like to thank everybody at The Ringer TheRinger.com launches tomorrow uh, we're recording this on Tuesday so it launches June 1 uh, can't wait to see what that's going to be about uh, I know listening to you and Bill talk it is uh, pretty exciting Huge staff, a lot of writing, a lot of coverage of some different stuff uh, besides sports, and uh, can't wait to see that. And of course, the Ringer Podcast Network, all sorts of great shows. The Ringer's NBA, NFL, and MLB pods are all on their own channels now. Channel 33 has, of course, uh, all the great shows and also some snippets of those shows to remind you to uh, subscribe to those on iTunes. And of course, Keeping It 1600 is all over the campaign, uh, one of my favorite podcasts already. Uh, can't wait to uh, hear the next episode, and they've had some fantastic guests. And uh, I'm Jeff Shackelford. You can find me at jeffshackelford.com. Just Google Jeff and golf. That's Jeff with a G. And uh, Jeff Shack on Twitter, housefromdc.com. Uh, and also housefromdc at Twitter is where you can find House. House, I uh, enjoyed it thoroughly. We thank Jaime Diaz again for joining us. And uh, anything else you'd like to say before we wrap oh, up? And, uh, oh, just, just one thing, Jeff Shackhouse. That's all I got to say. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you next week.
This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.